Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me in the studio today is my colleague Leonora Walters. Um, We're also delighted to have a special guest on the show. Colin Lowe is a Chartered Financial Planner with Kingsfleet Wealth and he's going to help us comment on this week's stories. Today we're going to talk about how to choose the right platform for your investments. We'll also look at how much exposure you should have in your portfolio to UK equities. And we'll also look at how investors' portfolios could be affected by the Chinese equity crash. We're also going to report on a tracker fund a mini price war and um, FNC Managed Portfolio Investment Trust. Now, most DIY investors manage their investments on a platform or which, which you might also know as a fund supermarket. Um, and they can see everything in one place and they can buy and sell um, using the same platform. Now, there are lots of platforms to choose from, but the market is actually very much dominated by Hargreaves Lansdowne. And this week, we're reporting on two major surveys that both conclude that Hargreaves actually gives the best all-round customer experience, despite having higher charges than some of its rivals. Um, in naming Hargreaves Lansdowne as the best all-rounder, the Langcat, which is an independent platform research consultancy, said... The ancillary charges still annoy us, but these are outweighed by all the good stuff on offer from Hargreaves. And and then Which Magazine, the other survey that we looked at, um, gave Hargreaves Lansdowne five stars um, for customer satisfaction. And it concluded that the platform offers solid core services with bells and whistles that are appreciated by its clients. There were, there were other options that scored highly in both surveys and they included AJ Bell You Invest and Charles Stanley Direct. But really, which platform is going to be right for you and your own investments will depend on how much you have to invest and what you want to invest in. Now, Colin, what do you think investors really need to be thinking about when they're choosing the, the platform or even considering if they should be transferring their investments to another platform for a better deal? Yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah good point, Maura. Uh, I think um, the issue there is that uh, any investor needs to be thinking through how often are they going to be trading. Um, if all you're just going to be doing is buying a few assets and holding them for the next 15 years, then maybe a platform isn't for you because um, <clears throat> it's another layer of charges, obviously. Um, That said, if one of the issues that you want to do is maintain a model portfolio, perhaps, and review it on a regular basis and have the freedom and the flexibility to switch between funds, then a platform will be hugely advantageous for that purpose. Um, And again, the issue then comes to what funds do you want to invest in? If you just want a range of collectives, then you will have a broader choice of platforms. If, however, you want to incorporate investment trusts and maybe some individual stocks, then you will be more restricted. So there are some decisions that need to be taken before you you plough into the platform decision. Um, and obviously people people's investment sort of... Um repertoire or their their trading patterns may change over the years as they become more confident. So you may not have been a frequent trader 10 years ago, but now you might be starting to deal a lot and you might might need a a different service. It's it's, uh, it's interesting to... That's very true. And I think actually probably it's more often than not that people will now be using platforms. I think it's rare for people to hold 
individual investments directly. And also um, most fund groups and investment trust companies are trying to cut down on their back office systems and they would much rather clients use trading platforms. It's simpler for them and uh, it cuts down on their costs of administration as well. So I think the direction of travel for the UK uh, finance industry, profession, whatever you want to refer to it as, is very much to, to use platforms and to enable people to have the freedom of choice and to make quick and easy changes. The layers of charges can be really confusing though, can't they? Because all platforms use very different charging structures. Um, they may, for example, levy like a percentage charge of your investments every year. So mm. that And that's usually around the 0.35 or 0.45 right. mark. That's right. Um, and then um, other platforms might say, fine, we'll just charge you a fixed fee every year for holding mm. your investments here. And that could be like 150 quid. That's right. Um, and for larger investors, the fixed fee will probably make sense. For smaller investors, a percentage, percentage might be charge. better. Yeah. So it's really, you know, as you as your portfolio gets larger, mm. you may need a you know need a different platform as well. You're absolutely right. And again, some incorporate dealing charges. So for every transaction, there's a five, ten, or fifteen pound charge. And then there'll be others who just build in all the dealing costs as part of the percentage fee or the flat rate charge. So again, there's all sorts of things to look for. Um, personally, I would tend to go for the all inclusive rather than the dealing charge arrangements because if mentally you have to incorporate a dealing cost into any purchase or any sale then perhaps you'll be less inclined to go ahead with the change which you know you really ought to be making and I think it can just be a stumbling block and it's still an issue we have to raise with clients that they think oh is there going to be a cost for making a change and actually there isn't so um, often to be able to change or amend or, or update a portfolio if you're on an all-inclusive cost where you're either paying a percentage or a flat rate over the year but no dealing costs, then it allows you to keep your portfolio more up-to-date. I think that's a really good point that you shouldn't really, as we say, you shouldn't let the tax tail mm. wag the investment dog. You shouldn't really let the the costs um, influence your investment decisions either. It, it really is all about getting the right investments ultimately, yeah, isn't yeah, it? absolutely right. And again, I think that's really what the Lancats uh, article was saying about the, the, the platform in that uh, look for the value it can give you and obviously they've made comments on various platforms as to whether they're good bad and and they've given different examples of different types of investor which is a very interesting point and it might be something that people want to have a look at and try and identify themselves with the different investors they try to describe because they then give a proposed uh, best solution and then two or three alternatives that come in at a similar level. This issue of customer service as well it, it is hugely important to a lot of our, our investor readers. I mean, they, they really want to be able to pick up the phone and talk to someone straight away if they've got a problem and they want to you know make sure that things things don't go wrong when they buy or sell. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's really, we're, it's really... we're often dealing in these things with people's life savings, so you need to have someone you can talk to. Now, of course, one person you might choose is if, if you want to, to get get some advice to deal through an advisor and they will help you pick pick a platform but if you want to self-invest then find um, a platform that will give you lots of support so that you can pick up the phone and help and, and, and get help. And I think that's probably why Hargreaves scored scored mm. highly in those surveys because they, they, they do reportedly do very well on that customer support. Now, moving on, um, in this week's Portfolio Clinic, we're looking at how much UK exposure you should have in your portfolio. Um, and, and Charles, our, our case study, he was 63 
and he wanted to uh, start generating retirement income from his portfolio when he retires next year. However, Charles was worried that his portfolio is too heavily weighted to UK equities. Um, he's just got he's actually just got just over half of the portfolio invested in, in the UK. And the balance of that is fairly evenly spread across the globe. Um, Colin, you are one of the experts on the portfolio. Um, what do you think the advantages are of, you know, UK versus um, diversifying overseas? I mean, was, was Charles getting it broadly right? Charles wasn't too far out, actually. And I just thought he had a very good point in saying, looking at his portfolio, it's just uh, predominantly UK held. And, and it's something which we all suffer from, that we all uh, initially have a UK bias because we deal in companies that we've heard of. Uh, so, you know, we walk out down our high street and we see different uh, retail uh, providers and we, we, we understand them and we think we know how they work and therefore we invest in them. But I think over time we realise that the world is... Uh, although it's becoming a smaller place, it's still a big place. And there are lots of people who perhaps we haven't heard about. And we're always encouraging our investors to think of the fact that here we are not investing in countries, we're investing in companies. And it's very important that it's companies who derive a return, companies who provide growth, companies who provide dividends. And I think once we've understood the basics of investing and, and, and any portfolio that a client has will always have a larger proportion of UK equities, you can then start to look a bit further afield. And and so then to be able to look at global equities um, is a very good move. I mean, some UK equities give lots of exposure to, you know, overseas markets anyway, don't they? Do. So, that, so, I mean, some advisors, maybe not yourself, would argue that you, you can get global exposure through the, through just the, the London stock market, really, Absolutely. can't you? And, and I think that's a very fair point, actually. And it is one that we do often overlook. If you look just in the UK stock market, there are firms listed there that actually don't trade in the UK at all. Um, miners and so on that don't have any UK uh, reason to be here at all other than they want to list in the UK. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point. However, if you look at there may be, for example, a desire to invest in the luxury car market, you might not find that stock in the UK. So therefore you have a need to go and buy something in perhaps the German stock market or, or further afield. So it is something that when you look at um, perhaps developing markets, uh, emerging markets, and look at that as an opportunity set, to see which companies are doing well there, then you wouldn't just be restricted to the UK. You would need to look globally. Right. Well, you've 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 mentioned emerging markets, okay. uh, and of course, one of the uh, div the issues with diversifying overseas is that you may be affected by um, more volatility, which comes from emerging markets. That's more ups and downs in their stock markets, uh, and this issue's really come home recently for investors who have exposure to China. Um, after a really a meteoric rise in the Chinese um, stock market, the, the stocks have crashed back to earth with a bang. Uh, and Leonora, you've been looking at um, uh, Chinese funds and, and issues for investors um, there. How have the how have the falls in Chinese A shares um, affected China and Asia funds? Now I'm mentioning A shares; they're the actual um, companies, the Chinese companies themselves on the Chinese mainland, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, so what what's been going on? Yeah, well, um, I think investors holding funds as opposed to, let's say, A-shares ETFs, which really do track um, the main shares, probably won't be feeling the full brunt because most managed funds 
have a majority of investments in Hong Kong shares rather than China A shares. Now, some funds have a, a proportion in China A shares, but not all their holdings. So um, funds will not be as badly affected, let's say, as the exchange itself. And um, I've been speaking to um, some of the fund managers of the funds, and um, they're not overly concerned about the situation, obviously not happy. Taking as an example, Adrian Lim, who runs one of our IC Top 100 funds, Edinburgh Dragon, um, I mean, is, is, is concerned, but his fund in any case is underweight China. Um, he prefers to list in Hong Kong um, for reasons including bit better corporate governance and um, transparency. Um, and, you know, you still get companies here making, you know, a lot of their business in China. And uh, Hong Kong, I mean, while it's not fallen as badly as China, there has been a bit of a fall. So he's actually been taking the opportunity to top up uh, as valuations become a bit more attractive. I also spoke to Howard Wang, who runs um, JP Morgan Chinese Investment Trust, another IC Top 100 fund. That, that's more specialist. That's it not is. across Asia. That's focused yeah. on China itself. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, but again, um, you know, he um, he's not making any changes to the portfolio um, and, you know, obviously invests in, um, again, Hong Kong um, as, as well as China. And then I have Charles Gillings, who runs Utilico Emerging Markets, which is quite a broad regional fund, but obviously has a, a particular sector focus. And um, he's he's actually reinvested recently on market weakness and, and taken the correction as an opportunity to buy. He is still concerned, as uh, the falls, he says, uh, reflect stress in the system. But um, um, I think, as he says, he, um, he, he is focused on the long term. And... Uh, we also have on our uh, website a video a recent made of Dale Nichols, who runs Fidelity China Special Situation. And uh, again, he's taking opportunities to top both in China and Hong Kong. So there's some reassuring noises coming from the fund managers whose business it is to, to, yes, to invest in China and probably um, keep their investors feeling happy, happy. about it. Now, Colin, yeah. are, are your mm. clients worried about China? I mean, what, what, what should, um, you know, ordinary investors be, be thinking about here? Well, there's no such thing as an ordinary investor, <laughs> let's be clear. Uh, but I think it's an important thing to, to say that because we see these things in the media, people do get concerned. And, and, and certainly in review meetings we've had recently, people have said, oh, what's, what is this thing going on with China? China. And I think people just have when you when you see the charts of how it, you know a real bubble had had um, arisen, hadn't it, over the last six months. And really, if you just draw a straight line from the start of the year to where we are now, you've had absolutely really good returns actually um, year to date, um, even in A shares. So um, yeah, it, it's one of those things that I think listening to those managers is really important because they have a better feeling for what's going on in the ground. Um, in terms of average investors, and again going back to our client who we looked at uh, or the uh, portfolio that we reviewed, I, I just have this thing about investing in geographic areas. I think that unless you really understand that um, and unless you really can make a judgment call about whether China's better than the US or Europe's better than Japan why not just invest in a global fund which allows the manager to buy a share a company in any market and therefore if they think that a company is good value in China 
they'll buy it. Um, if they think that a company is better value in France, they'll buy it there. And I think that just helps reduce risk for, for investors, especially if they're just building portfolios. This is coming down to the individual stock level, whether yeah. whether a company is a good business, regardless of where it's, where it's it's positioned in the world. Yes, That's right. Yeah. And I think also you just see that when you look at uh, any index is always just a measure of the shares that are incorporated in that index, aren't they? So especially in China, where there does appear to have been um, a leveraged fueling of the market, where people have borrowed to invest in, in a market that's got highly overpriced, and then people will then sell out on the way down very rapidly it's obviously a very frightening time and you know for people who've gone through a a lot of losses that must be very scary for them so um, to then bring that back into for UK investors I suspect that very few clients have any money directly invested in in the A market more often as you say in the H you know through Hong Kong Um, but I think fewer have actually um, held large portions over the last few years. I think they've probably reduced that. I know a few of our readers um, will be invested in Fidelity China Special Situations Mm. because that was launched to great fanfare um, because it was launched by Anthony Bolton, who at the time was like the UK's greatest fund manager. And he's since retired. But Mm. a lot of people will be hanging on to that particular investment trust. And and ironically, I think it's done really well, actually, hasn't it? Yes. (laughs) so yeah it's, uh, yeah there will be and again i know some funds like jupiter china and and so on have done really well and they've got some great managers in there um so yeah if you really do have a feeling that that's what you want to be in then do research the fund managers really well and research the the funds that you could be invested in and some great investment trusts as well okay moving on again um this week we're reporting on um the ongoing price war between tracker fund providers now i'm saying war it's not really hotting up terribly but it's sort of been chuntering on in the background for several years that tracker funds have been uh, getting cheaper and cheaper very gradually uh, and and blackrock um, it, one of the big players in this market is the latest to cut its charges. Um, Leonora, you've been looking at, at this development. Um, does BlackRock now have the cheapest options to passive investors? Um, no, it, it doesn't. Um, I mean, the, the funds that cut the price on, I mean, they, they're very cheap options. But for example, if you buy legal and generals tracker funds off the Hargreaves Lansdowne website, um, you can get things a bit cheaper again. There's also a number of ETFs, exchange-traded funds, um, which are cheaper again, including some BlackRock funds. And I think the thing investors have to bear in mind is you don't only have to think about the actual fund charge. You have to think about where and how you're buying it. So if you buy an ETF, you probably have to pay brokerage fees to um, buy that, whereas you don't probably get that on a open-ended tracker fund. But then if you hold tracker funds on certain platforms, you might get a, a, a monthly um, or quarterly charge of keeping it on the platform, even if you don't get a trading fee. Um, now, this cha- varies from platform to platform to platform. So the, the, there is no simple answer other than that um, I think if as an investor, you have to first consider, A, are you going to trade frequently? Are you going to leave things? Um, and... Um, 
not make many moves and secondly in which platform are you going to be on because that is what will determine your cost. Um, Colin do you see this as a dilemma for tracker fund uh, investors I mean you know how do you if you're Tracker fund is charging 0.07%, as many are now. Mm. And then you go on a platform that lobs on another 0.4%. Yeah. It's not really as cheap as, no. it, as it was, as it should be, really, is yeah. it? Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite hard for investors. It, it, yeah. That really is. Uh, that said, it's not that easy. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to think how you would buy a tracker directly. I suppose it is possible. But um, maybe if you go back, in, uh, going back to our platform costs, if you just go for those that you just pay a dealing charge for, then that's probably the way to hold a tracker. I mean, by its very nature, a tracker tends to be held for the long term. Um, we tend to use more passive investments for clients who are younger because we would just take the view that they would hold it for a longer period of time and therefore avoid the dealing costs and trading costs and so on. So, A lot of, lot of um, recommendations would be that if you invest in trackers, you do it on a monthly basis. Mm. So you do the regular contributions and yep. therefore you benefit from pound cost averaging, you know, yes. buying yeah. more when prices are low and vice versa. Yeah, so absolutely. It, that there a younger person might be making small smaller regular contributions mm. and getting hit by a mm. a dealing charge. That's so, right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, an issue that needs a bit of uh, a good spreadsheet and a dark room, I would suggest, <laughs> and to to work out the figures. Um I think it's also important to understand how different trackers work too, that um if especially if you're buying an ETF just be mindful of the fact that most ETFs do stock lending. So just to, uh, be aware of the fact there is an increased risk, okay, it's a very small risk to that capital because those stocks are then lent out to a third party normally. So just be aware of the fact that you need to look at counterparty risk there. Um, it's another way in which they reduce the charges. So the fund that you're investing in there might not actually be holding what you think it's that's right. it should be invested yeah, in. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Well, they are holding it and they're just lending the stock out to somebody else in return yeah. for a return fee um, so it enables somebody else to be short and then they're long and then they sort of make some money off the back of that the other thing is different uh, trackers rep some replicate the market by holding exactly the same as the index and some just do it through uh, hedge product and so on as well so there are different ways in which uh, trackers can derive their returns so not all trackers are the same which is rather bizarre isn't it you mm. would think that they would all give the same returns but they don't and is it not fair to say that with stock lending that active funds do it as well very some do some do yes that's right yes yeah that's right yeah and probably more more the closed ended ones yeah very much so yeah it's certainly a consideration but then you would probably expect that within the leveraging that they are able to do you would but not everyone is aware of that on trackers i think so it's just worth being mindful of it so people might think trackers are simpler than they actually are um i mean i was just going back to this um these two platform surveys that we mentioned at Mm. the beginning and um for if you're going to hold for relatively small amounts in tracker funds which which actually recommends fidelity because it's got a, a lower um overall platform charge as a percentage and it also recommends um barclays stockbrokers mm. so maybe that's something to look at yeah yeah sounds good now um let's look at um an investor's chronicles 
top 100 fund. Um, these are This is our select list of actively managed funds. And this week we're looking at FNC Managed Portfolio Trust. Um, now this, this puts its assets into investment trusts rather than direct shares. And this week, Leonora, you've been looking at its performance and recent changes to the portfolio. What, what's been happening there? Um, yes, the investment trust recently reported its um, annual results. And um, areas that did particularly well for the trust um, were biotech funds. It holds a Swiss-listed fund, BB Biotech, and it holds Biotech Growth Trust and Worldwide Healthcare, which we count as IC Top 100 funds. Um, and these investments all did really well. Um, investors might like to note that BB Biotech does plan to list in London at some point, possibly later this year. Now, another area that um, did quite well um, within F&C Managed Trust Portfolio were the investment trusts run by Mark Barnett, um, who um, works for Investco Perpetual and has uh, taken over some of Neil Woodford's funds, including Edinburgh Investment Trust. Now, the manager of uh, F&C Managed Portfolio was last year concerned Mr Barnett might have too much money to run and too much to do um, after taking on Neil Woodford's funds as well as continuing to run his own. But um, I asked Mr Hewitt how he feels a year on and he said after recently visiting Invesco's offices and um, speaking to the team, he's quite persuaded that they can manage. They're, they're well organised and they've hired more staff. And he also points out that uh, Edinburgh and uh, Perpetual Income and Growth have, have performed really well. And uh, as he says, the evidence is in the performance numbers. So uh, he's um, still confident in uh, Mark Barnett um, and his team. Um, and so what, what's not been doing quite quite so well for FNC Managed Portfolio? Yes, well, BlackRock World Mining, um, Mr Hewitt added to this fund in um, 2014 uh, because it was paying off a nice yield. Um, it's investing in uh, uh, funds paying decent dividends and also it invested in royalties, which um, contributed to the yield. Now, unfortunately... Um, some of these investments went wrong and we've got some detailed accounts of exactly what went wrong with the royalty investments in BlackRock World Mining on our website. Um, now, it caused the share, um, the, the investment trust price to slide. I mean, Mr Hewitt bought it at 450 and sold it at 360 which doesn't sound good, but he says it was actually a good choice because um, I've, uh, BlackRock World Mining now trades at around 245 pence a oh share. <laughs> so it's not doing well at all. Um, more generally as well of commodities, um, as to hear it says that um, things haven't yet turned and he has no direct holding in the commodities trusts, but he's keeping an eye on announcements in that area, in including looking at you know big companies like BP and Shell. Um, Colin, what do you think of, of this particular um, fund, this uh, FNC Managed Portfolio Trust? Yeah, well, thanks for, for bringing it to our attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's, actually, it's quite nice to have the opportunity to take a specific look at a fund um, because we don't always get that. And, um, yeah, it's been it, it's done really well, actually, in the last couple of years. It looks as though it went through a tricky time 
four or five years back, but uh, seems to have come out of that very, very well. But it's a really good example of how getting one or two small things right and making a lot of money of those can override some larger holdings, perhaps not doing quite so well. So it's done very, very well, certainly on the biotech side of things. It's picked some really good funds and it's done very, very well on those. We've quite often recommended this as a way for somebody who's interested in investment trusts to sort of dip their toe into the water um, because it's a good sort of one-stop diversified portfolio of investment trusts. Yes. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's fair? I that's think that's fair? spot on. I yeah. think it's exactly that. It, it's, give, it's got a very nice spread. It takes a lot of that decision-making away from the individual so that they can rely on somebody else to use their expertise and knowledge. And I think it's done incredibly well. It's interesting that you know one or two of the investment trusts which are held within the top 10 holdings haven't done too well over the last uh, year or two but overall the the total return has looked really good so yeah it looks a really good fund I should mention also that there are there are income and growth um, share classes on on the on the investment trust so that, you know if you if you're an income investor, buy one. If you're a growth investor, buy the other. Yeah, it's, it's quite a nice yield of about 4% as well. So that's, uh, you know, quite a good, you know, look at what you're getting in your bank account at the moment. If you can go in for the longer term, something like this would work very well. Cool. OK, well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. So thank you to our special guest, Colin Lowe of Kingsfleet Wealth and to Leonora Walters of the Investors Chronicle. You can read more about Hargreaves Lansdowne China and tracker funds in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.